Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's uh, great to be here and to share something of uh, the story of uh, Rahab. Now, Rahab is a very interesting character. And she is a woman in what was predominantly a men's world, uh, but also in a, in a Bible which uh, talks about the Israelites and a Bible which belongs to the uh, people of Israel. She is a Canaanite, and uh, also she is a prostitute. So altogether, a fairly unconventional uh, character to look at and uh, an unconventional person to find their way in uh, Hebrews' uh, Hall of Fame of the people who uh, had faith in God. Uh, but today I wouldn't uh, want to concentrate so much on her sexual ethics uh, or anything like this. I would want to look at one other aspect of her life, uh, which is uh, quite uh, central, I think, to who she was and uh, her relationship uh, to God. And that aspect is the question of uh, loyalty and betrayal. Because uh, above all else, uh, uh, above the fact that she was a woman or a Canaanite or a prostitute, uh, Rahab was a traitor. She was a holy traitor, if you like, uh, because she betrayed her people and, uh, and uh, joined the people of Israel. And so looking at her life, um, one central thing that uh, jumps uh, from, uh, from what happens to her is the question of loyalty. Now, our lives, uh, the lives of each and every one of us, is uh, a web of loyalties. We are born into this and, and grow into this, and we have all sorts of uh, loyalties uh, filling in our world. We have loyalties to our family, to our friends, uh, to the people that we work with, to our church, to our community, to our nation, to our values, to our principles. There are a host of uh, sometimes even conflicting loyalties, and it is a normal and right thing uh, uh, to have. We, we cannot live without that. Uh, loyalty is at the heart of uh, human life. I don't know if you have ever been to one of these uh, team-building exercises, where they make you do crazy stuff. And one of the things, uh, I'm happy to say I've never, ever done it, and I don't uh, ever envisage a situation in which I might do it, is when they make you stand with your back to someone and just fall uh, back in, into their arms. Have you ever done that? You are brave, brave people. <laughs> uh, and it is one of the most frightening things to do. Why? Because when you're falling back, you have no... Uh, you have no protection, um, and you are entirely dependent on somebody else's trustworthiness. Uh, you, you believe uh, that they will be there to catch you, that they will have the strength and the skill and the desire to not let you fall. And uh, this is, I think, a very good, uh, a very uh, drastic way of demonstrating to us a central a feature of human life. We are dependent on other people. We are dependent on other people's loyalty. And this is why betrayal hurts so much. This is why we don't like traitors. We don't like people who, um, who betray the trust uh, that has been invested uh, uh, in them. And here we have a uh, traitor. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them, uh, the book of Joshua, chapter uh, chapters 1 and 2. And this is where the story of, uh, of Rahab is found. Now, chapter 2 begins with Joshua, the leader of Israel, sending uh, 
It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies, and uh, he tells them, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So it is the beginning of a military operation. And if you read the text carefully, it wouldn't take long to realize that this is an extremely strange decision by, by Joshua. It is a peculiar mission uh, that he uh, initiates. Why? Because if you look at uh, chapter 1, uh, in chapter 1, God himself appears to Joshua. And uh, most of chapter 1 is really a dialogue between Joshua and God and then Joshua and the elders of Israel. But just see what God says to him uh, in chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as, promised, uh, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your lives. And it goes on like this. God appears to Joshua at the beginning of the book and gives him this very categorical promise. You go there and fight, I have given you the land. What does Joshua do? He sends spies. Why does he do that? I mean, if you continue to read the story, you will see that uh, what happens next in, in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 is the priests uh, grab the ark and they uh, go into the river Jordan, and as they uh, enter the river, the water stops. So the whole army of Israel passes uh, through the river on, on dry land, just, lit, just like uh, Moses and the Israelites did when the Red Sea parted. And then when they cross over the river, they don't have to build bridges, they don't have to build rafts, they don't have to uh, do any of the normal stuff an army would do to cross a river. When they go to the other side of the Jordan... Uh, how do they fight? Well, they circle Jericho a few times, and then the priests blow their trumpets, then the wall fall down, and they go in and take the city. Now, how much military intelligence do you need to plan an operation like that? Not a lot, I would guess. All you need is the ark of the Lord, some priests to carry it, enough trumpets to blow, and God's power uh, with you. And yet Joshua sends these spies to the land. And they go and they spy out the land, and what, if you look at the end of chapter uh, 2, they, they come back to him, and this is the information they bring to Joshua. They say uh, in verse 24, this is the very last verse of the chapter, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting of fear. Well, we kind of knew that already, didn't we? I mean, the Lord has said to Joshua, I'm giving you this land. And so all you need to do is a little bit of faith in that promise. And so when you think about it uh, from this perspective, the whole of chapter 2, this reconnaissance mission, uh, uh, sending the spies uh, out to spy the land, is a little bit pointless from the perspective of the military operation. It is pointless because it doesn't contribute anything to what God uh, was going to do to help the Israelites capture the land. The only thing of value that happens is that the spies meet this woman Rahab, the Canaanite 
prostitute. And so it is through that encounter that Rahab uh, displays her faith in the Lord, and she is ultimately saved and delivered from uh, the destruction of the city. And I kind of wanted to make that point uh, quite strongly because I, I think it shows us something about the, the sovereignty and the power and the wisdom of God. Uh, we, we live in a world uh, where there are a lot of, um, a lot of blunders. People make wrong choices. Uh, people uh, do uh, bad quality work. People don't live up to our expectations. Disasters uh, sometimes happen. Uh, sometimes uh, things go horribly wrong. And it is in, in the midst of, uh, of all these things, it is good to remind ourselves that even with decisions that are not as wise or good, or even decisions that are not maybe motivated entirely by faith, the Lord has ways of achieving his uh, plans and purposes. And in this particular case, uh, the Lord used, used Joshua's pointless mission of sending the spies to actually uh, meet and, uh, and, and save uh, Rahab. Now, in the beginning of chapter 2, the, uh, the spies go over to Jericho, and uh, it says in verse... Uh, in verse 1, so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and, and uh, they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight, tonight to spy out the land. So the spies, they don't do a very good job. They are made out immediately. Uh, how and why, we don't know. Did they speak funny? Possibly. Uh, were they dressed inappropriately? Quite likely. Did they behave uh, strangely? Uh, who knows? They, so uh, just as Joshua is not a very good military commander when he sends the spies, so the spies are not very good spies when they go on their mission. They're immediately uh, recognized. And uh, their lives are hanging in the balance. The king is looking out for them to gently advise them uh, not to do this uh, sort of thing again and perhaps even to uh, execute them. And this is when Rahab makes a momentous decision. When the king's emissaries come to her house and say, uh, give us uh, uh, these men, we know that they, they have come and we know that they've entered your house, Rahab utters what you might call a holy lie. Okay. It's a lie. There is no question about it. But uh, the Lord doesn't seem to disapprove of it, so there is uh, something good about the lie, uh, it seems to me. Because Rahab says, oh, that's right, yeah, they, they did, did come here, and they stayed here, uh, but they left. You kind of missed them. They went that way. Okay? You just run, and you'll catch them. And so she sends the king's emissaries on their way, and she hides the spies on the roof of her house. She lies to the king. She saves the lives of these uh, two men. And then she engages uh, with them in uh, some, uh, some sort of haggling, it seems. Uh, and I won't read all of it to you, but then she goes, on, uh, she goes up uh, to the roof where the spies are hidden. And she says, right, guys, you know what? Uh, the king is looking for you. I have good news and bad news. Okay? The bad news is the king is looking for you. The good news is I am willing to help you survive if you promise to do the same for me. I know that you're going to take this city. 
I know that uh, the Lord has given this uh, land into your hands. And so if you promise to spare my life, I will spare your life. And so they have this elaborate negotiation, uh, which is a great fun to read because they have all these conditions. And they say, well, you have to put a cloth outside of your house. And uh, they, they have all these conditions. And then finally they say, well, if we survive, you will survive. And if you betray us, then that's the end for you. But as part of these negotiations, Rahab utters some of the most significant words in the book of Joshua. So if you look, um, if you look at verse, uh, in verse 8, sorry, verse 9, she says uh, to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that great fear of you has fallen upon us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, uh, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When you heard it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is the God of heaven above and earth below. She makes this fantastic confession of faith. Uh, she, uh, she not only knows what the Lord has done, everybody knows what the Lord has done, but she responds to that knowledge in a very different way to everybody else. The hearts of everyone else melt in fear, but they're uh, resolute in their desperation and fear to fight to the very end. And she is not. She wants to actually change sides and switch sides and worship this uh, great and mighty God who has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and who is the God of heaven and earth. Now, I want to invite you for a moment to identify yourselves with, with Rahab. This might be difficult or easy, depending on how wild your imagination probably is. But just think for a moment that you are a, a Rahab. You are living in this place. You live amongst your own people. And then there is this huge disaster coming upon your community. And suddenly, you decide to switch sides. You betray the people that you live amongst. And you choose a nation which has been sent here to wipe them out. How would you call a person like that? She is a traitor, isn't she? She is a traitor to her own people. She lies to her king who comes to seek the spies. And uh, she uh, throws her lot with the children of Israel. And the reason why she does this is because she has come to believe she, she doesn't do it because she thinks uh, the people of Israel are these wonderful people. Okay? I mean, nowhere in this conversation does she say uh, anything uh, which is kind of uh, flattering about uh, the Israelites. It's not like, oh, you guys, you're so wonderful, you're so cultured, you're so beautiful, you're sophisticated, you're rich, or any of that kind of stuff. She does not switch sides because she thinks the people of Israel are better than her own people. She changes loyalty because she has come to believe that their God is the God of the heavens and earth. And so her betrayal is motivated by the fact that, that, there, that there is another loyalty looming on the horizon, if you like. 
uh, a loyalty with which her other loyalties are now in conflict. She wants to uh, worship the Lord, and that worship cannot be um, reconciled with her continuing to be a Canaanite prostitute. She has to get out of that place so that she can worship the Lord. She is faced uh, with a choice. Now, how significant that choice is, you can appreciate if you compare her to another character in the book of Joshua. And I really think that uh, the way we are meant to read the book is uh, we are meant to kind of put these two characters alongside each other. And that other character is uh, a man called Achan, of whom we learn in chapter 7. So unlike Rahab, who is a woman and is a Canaanite and is a prostitute, Achan is an Israelite, he is a man, and he is a respected leader in Israel. So they are as far apart from each other as you can possibly imagine. And yet their fates are very different. So Rahab betrays her own people. She commits herself to the Lord. And because of that, she escapes the destruction and the judgment of Jericho. When Jericho is uh, run over, uh, the Israelites uh, go to her house and they spare her life. And not only her life, but her whole house. Everyone who belongs to her is um, rescued. Achan, on the other side, is already part of the invading army. He is already... uh, he is already part of that community. But when they go in to uh, Jericho and they take over the city, he does something which has been forbidden. He takes some of the, uh, of the plunder, which by rights uh, belongs to the Lord. She takes some silver and some gold and some fine materials, and he hides them underneath his tent. And you can even there in these little details see the irony and the contrast between these two people because both of them hide something. Uh, Rahab hides the spice. Achan hides these stolen goods. And uh, Rahab hides them on the roof of her house and Achan hides them underneath uh, his, uh, his tent. So they both uh, hide something. And because Achan... Uh, Uh, does this and and sins in such a way, stealing from the Lord. The Lord's anger uh, is against uh, the people of Israel, and the people are defeated, and uh, Achan's crime is is, uh, revealed. And so if you quickly turn uh, your Bibles to uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 7, In verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, in the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, gold weighing 50 shekels, I I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground, inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, a little bit like with Rahab, he sent, he sent messengers to the land of Canaan, and these messengers came and encountered Rahab. Here he sends messengers again. They ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, the silver underneath it. And so, and then in verse 24, uh, 
sorry, verse uh, 25, Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after, did, uh, uh, and, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains there to this day. And so, you see, you have these two different characters, the man and the woman, the Canaanite and the Israelite, the prostitute and the leader. And these two different characters uh, meet with two quite different fates. They both hide something. They both betray something. Rahab betrays her own people, and Achan betrays, uh, uh, in a way, his own people as well. He betrays uh, the trust uh, placed in him, and he steals from the, from the plunder. And they both end up as reminders, because in chapter 6, the author of Joshua tells us, so Rahab was led out, and she remains in Israel to this day. And then Achan is executed, and there is a pile of stones heaped on him, and you can see it because it is there to these days. There are two reminders of these two acts of, uh, of betrayal. One which reminds of the salvation that came upon the Canaanite woman. And the other one which reminds people of the judgment which came upon the Israelite men. And that's why I think uh, we, when we read the book of Joshua, Joshua we are meant to kind of read these two people together, to place them alongside each other, and to ask ourselves the question, well, who is the true Israelite here? <coughs> who is, uh, what does it mean to be part of the people of Israel? And when you ask the question this way, you begin to realize that being a true Israelite, there is more than just your descent. There is more than your social uh, position, there is more than the circumstances of your life. There is within your heart something which ultimately determines who you are. And this is, one, uh, this is why Achan is cut off from the people of Israel, if you like, and Rahab is grafted on to that new nation and she becomes uh, part of it. And the central thing that defines these two people is the question of loyalty. What are you loyal to? And when the loyalties in your lives uh, conflict with each other, which loyalty do you choose and do you place above all others? Now, I'm sure Achan wasn't a terrible person. And he was probably a pretty good uh, Israelite leader. Uh, maybe he wasn't uh, horrible to his family. Maybe he was valiant in battle. Maybe he was very uh, devoted when he prayed. The book of Joshua doesn't uh, necessarily imply that uh, Achan was this corrupt uh, being to, the, to, the, uh, to his very core. He probably had a lot of good qualities. But he lacked one very important thing. And this was uh, an unreserved, uh, unquestionable loyalty to the uh, will and the word of God. God had commanded the people of Israel to take the city and commit all the plunder to him. And this is where it became clear that in Achan's heart there was a conflict of loyalties between what the Lord wanted on one hand 
and the beautiful Babylonian robe on the other. Or the glittering gold and, and silver. And he was faced with this choice and these conflicting loyalties. And he chose the gold and the silver and the robe above what uh, the Lord had commanded. And Rahab, when she was faced with the loyalty to her people and to her nation and to her city on one hand, and the loyalty of this newfound God on the other, whom she, the more she kind of thought about the stories she had heard, she realized that he is the God of heaven and earth, the one who is truly worthy of worship. She chose the loyalty to this God above every other loyalty that there is. And I uh, just kind of want to point out to you the fact that these two loyalties had very, very different outcomes. I, um, Alistair asked a question about what, what it is to be a Christian uh, in Bulgaria. I actually come from a, uh, from a very non-Christian background, so none of my family were Christians. Um, I, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up during communist times, so religion was not taught in, in the schools. Uh, you couldn't even buy a Bible in the bookshop. Um, this is uh, how I actually became a Christian, because I was interested for a while in, uh, in kind of uh, looking at a Bible and seeing what a Bible is, because you read about it in various uh, uh, novels and uh, uh, you, you have references to it, but you can actually never see this mysterious book. So I was quite intrigued. But I, I had no religion uh, whatsoever. So when I became a Christian, I had a blank uh, piece of paper in terms of theology. And I was reading the Bible. I, I think I read uh, the book of Genesis in one go, in one day. Uh, and uh, I was kind of uh, looking at all these stories. And I came to a story where God uh, commands, excuse me, um, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know the story? Well, I tell you, when I read this story, the first time I did I was absolutely petrified. Because what was my immediate reaction? Do you know what I thought? I was very young at that stage. I was only 18 years old. I, I had no children. So the question of God asking me to sacrifice my children didn't, uh, um, wasn't a life question at that point. But I had parents. So I thought they were the next good thing. And I thought, what will happen now tonight if I go to bed and the Lord appears to me and says, go to the kitchen and pick up a knife and go and kill your parents? What am I going to do? And I tell you, I spent a few very, very uncomfortable days and nights uh, meditating on that question. I'm telling you this story just to show you how little I understood of God's character and what Christianity really meant in those early days. But that ridiculous uh, sort of uh, irrational uh, fear, I think, is a lot more common than we uh, care to admit. Because quite often we go through life thinking, well, maybe if we are loyal to God, we will be worse off ultimately. Maybe God will demand from us sacrifices that are too great to make. Maybe it will be painful beyond what we can endure. Maybe a loyalty to God, a complete and full loyalty like that to Rahab, will, uh, will ask us to step outside of our comfort zone uh, way too radically. 
And this is why it is interesting to look at these two characters and see the ultimate outworking of their loyalty. Rahab's loyalty meant salvation for her and her whole family, everyone who belonged to her house, parents, siblings, children, servants, whoever was part of that house actually survived because of her loyalty. And Achan's disloyalty meant the judgment on everyone who belonged to, to that house. And so ultimately, our loyalty to God is actually the surest path to blessing and, uh, and salvation. And Jesus in the New Testament says something uh, uh, to that effect as well. He says, whoever wants to follow me, you must, in, in, uh, I think in the Gospel of Luke, he puts it quite radically, you have to hate you have to hate your parents, you have to hate your children, you have to hate uh, your brothers uh, and sisters. And that doesn't mean you have to become this you know, hateful, mean person who just hates everyone you really want to love. No, that's a just a very uh, extreme way of saying this uh, same thing. Uh, if you want to follow me, you have to be loyal to me above everything else. And if you are, then Jesus says you will receive your brothers and your parents and your riches, and you receive them uh, uh, tenfold and, and hundredfold. And so today I would like to leave you with that question. I know that we all are committed to things. I know that we all have loyalties in our lives. And uh, I do not want even for a minute to suggest that all these loyalties are something bad. No, they're good and natural. The Lord has created us to be committed. He has created us to be committed to people, to communities, to relationships, to values, to goals, to ambitions. The question is not whether we should be or shouldn't be. The question is, what is that ultimate loyalty that drives our lives and gives it focus? What is that commitment which, when worst comes to worst, will be the ultimate Thing in our lives that will determine our decisions. And if you want to be truly like this fascinated, uh, fascinating holy traitor, Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, who became one of the great heroes of faith in the Old Testament, the, question, uh, the answer to that question will have to be, the ultimate loyalty is my loyalty to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that you have uh, come and met each and every one of us in the different circumstances of our lives. We want to thank you that you uh, love us and that you're committed to us and you invite us to respond back to you with uh, uh, the same sort of commitment. And we pray today, Lord, that you will uh, open our eyes and give us, again, a vision of yourself, a vision that will inspire us and uh, motivate us to follow you, and a vision which will inspire us to commit our lives and everything that we have uh, to you. Lord, lead us in a way, in your ways, and, and teach us, and help us to be more like that. We pray in the name of Jesus.